What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We thought all Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Welcome to the Bad Days Crime Podcast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. We have a special guest in the room. Yay, me. So as you might have noticed, it's our anniversary. Janelle's the only one that remembered. I didn't remember. That's for sure. It's fine. It's not in my calendar or anything. So this is how many years? Five years? Six years. Six <laughs> years? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This has been going on too long. <laughs> we need to get out of this relationship yeah. now. Um, Blink so, twice if you need help out of this relationship. Yeah. So we decided to start this week's episode with opening these lovely gifts that Tiff or Janelle brought to us. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tiff's actually in the room, which is not. Does it happen? This never that? happens. So we're going to open them. What is you said this was the So it's the iron anniversary. Okay. And I, I love these I, bags. I got an iron gift for both of you, but Vicky's got lost in the mail, so I had to do a plan B and yours might need some explanation. Okay. Because it is mortifying. <laughs> okay, so what did you get to? It's an cast iron pan. Star Wars. <laughs> Pink what is pan. it? Is it baby Yoda? Yeah. yeah. Oh that's cute. Oh, oh that's cute. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> now I'm wondering. So, you need stuff for your house. So, got you something for your house, Vicky. Okay. So, uh-huh. This Pull is... it out. <laughs> it's for your keys. No. It goes on the wall. Um, oh, like I the see. Hand, yeah. Okay. So... And you can put stuff on the top of the hand as well. <laughs> This is a giant, it's basically a giant. It's called a witch hand. Metal, yeah, witch hand is good. Uh, with like claws and there's an eyeball in the palm. <laughs> this is very cool. I unpacked this it. This is I was very like, cool. This is so huge. I thought it was smaller. <laughs> yeah, no, this is straight up. This is bigger than my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so cool. 
<laughs> the Wait, pictures were like, yeah. hang jewelry and keys. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> jewelry off of that thing? would be mortifying. Oh my keys gosh. is cute. Keys I is love fun. this because, uh, so I recently moved into a new apartment. Mm-hmm. And the all of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that I have in my house is skull or skeleton related mm-hmm. or horror related <clears throat> or kind yep. of weird. I've got a giant um like ufo or the world's picture in my dining room and like (laughs) i mean this is my house i've never met my landlord (laughs) um he has been over to the (laughs) apartment (laughs) multiple times Uh to fix various things and every time it's like a wednesday when i'm in the office uh so i've never met him Mm -hmm. he has never met me he's only seen the inside of my apartment so i cannot wait to hang something like this on the wall for the next time he has (laughs) to come in and do something in my apartment and be like who is this woman (laughs) the original thing i was going to get you they were cast iron bats that were for keys oh Um, yeah it was like a pair of bats crawling up the wall they're very cute but they got lost in the mail (laughs) i love this though thank you so much i was like plan b is a giant witch Oh my god, that's amazing! All the screws are in the bottom, so I saw you have fun hanging that. We'll see. It might sit on my counter until I buy a house. <laughs> we will. We will see about that. Ah, oh, that's lovely. What a great way to start so, the show! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Thank you, Joe. No fancy, no okay. fancy cookies or cupcakes this time. No bottles of wine. Just witch hands. Just witch hands. <laughs> and pancakes. And pancakes. <laughs> Thanks, Tiff. Bye. <laughs> okay, right. now that it's just the two of no, no. <laughs> just the two of us. Mm. We can make a podcast if we try. <laughs> I don't even know about that anymore. You're welcome. Uh, so, if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. God help you. We've got a very interesting show for you today. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. Okay, so our news today comes mm. from Insider. Where okay. I probably should have saved this one for the next episode, actually. It's fine. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, okay. So a woman named Patricia Kopta went missing in Pittsburgh mm. in 1992. Okay. Okay. They assumed she had died. Um, she was declared legally dead by authorities, but she was recently found living in in Puerto Rico. Well, that's a happy ending. Yeah, kind of. Uh-oh. Con- <laughs> confirmed by DNA. Uh-huh. Um, she had actually been like a street preacher in Pittsburgh known as the Sparrow. Okay. Um, but there... like a comic book character. <laughs> there are reports that she had maybe <laughs> some schizophrenia, maybe mm-hmm. some mental illness. And so she became worried and like didn't want to get committed by her family. And so she fled the country. So she was actually found wandering the streets of Puerto Rico in like 1999. But when they found her now, now she is in her, she's 86. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Her husband is 86. She is, I think, also, oh, 83. Um, She's since been diagnosed with dementia. She's living in a nursing home in Puerto Rico, uh, which is kind of the unfortunate thing because like you almost wonder, like, especially with dementia, like, 
she's not going to be able to tell anybody like what happened during all those years necessarily, yeah. or if she does like how accurate is it? Cause yeah. so, but it's interesting that they, you know, she was married. She had a husband, her parents, her sister, like all of these people for like 20 years thinking she's dead. She's just living in Puerto Rico. Hey, that's what you got to do if you don't want to get committed. <laughs> I, I mean, I you guess. You flee the country, kind of. <laughs> I'm glad that they were able to find her, like, mm-hmm. before she passed on. Because, like, she's, I mean, 83 is, like, not young. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> although I think, honestly, I think in Puerto Rico, the life expectancy is a little higher. They're, like, one of those, like, happier nation type people that yeah, generally well, just live I a mean, lot longer. Maybe not in recent years. Because, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know. All the what do they call natural they call disasters and whatnot? <laughs> yeah, I think they're called blue nations or something. Where it's like they tend to anyway. Maybe hmm. Puerto Rico. Maybe I'm thinking Costa Rica. Could be anyway. It's an island, so you yes. would think that yeah. they're on island time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving right along to our Netflix and kill this Ooh. week, we are talking about the Pez Outlaw. I watched this. So good, <laughs> so good. I just um, like the whole time. I'm like, really. Yeah, so really? <laughs> the uh, Pez Outlaw has a documentary on Netflix that follows Steve Glue, who was a Michigan machinist in like the 80s, um, who kind of one day decided to go to Europe <laughs> and buy... This so, is the confusing part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, he went to Europe to buy Pez dispensers. So the way the market worked <laughs> with Pez at the at the time was there was like the North American market and the international market. Mm-hmm. And the North American market was strictly controlled down. Solid. Um, by like what designs and colors and everything was printed in in the u.s whereas the european market and the international market had completely different stuff because it was not controlled by the same people yes same company but like different markets mm-hmm. so he flew to europe to the factories where he would buy like bulk european released pez dispensers smuggle them essentially back into the u.s kind of kind of there's so this is the other interesting oh yeah is is there was no like definitive law they because of their copyright thing yeah so yeah so basically when they they registered technically it's not smuggling (laughs) yeah when they registered their trademark Mm -hmm. um they failed to register it with the international customs um Mm -hmm. like arm of the government which is something you have to do to protect your trademark internationally um and and things coming back into the country or out of the country so they basically were like well their name's not on the books so technically like you're fine to do this yep brought back thousands of pez dispensers uh and began to sell them in the u.s for lots of money. I mean, some of them were fetching up to like $1,200 for a Pez dispenser. Which is like, rare. what the fuck? It just re- brings me back to like the Beanie Baby craze. You know, it's like, what the fuck are these people doing? Truly. <laughs> Truly. Um, so he starts doing this. The the president of the company. <laughs> they say that in the documentary. Yeah. Um, so the president of Pez uh, finds out and like tries to put an end to this and there's all this back and forth he ends up um losing his connection in europe decides to manufacture one himself because you could through pez that was like 
anyway, and then they stole the designs and started selling them for a lower price and essentially put them out of business. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting story. Um, Steve Glue as a person is also very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like there is this, I mean, it is a story of him like stealing all this Pez, but it's also kind of a love story and a, like a love letter to his wife, which is really sweet. You know, there's this kind of family supporting his family overarching theme i will say that it was a little bit hard at times to listen to her talk yes but there were points where her voice got really like on the verge of like her losing her voice that i was like oh and his wife now has parkinson's i think yes um so which is like part of that Mm -hmm. uh but yes i'm yeah i'm very familiar yeah 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 so I mean, it was, I really enjoyed it. Again, it's in that kind of like vein of like McMillions and um, Pepsi Where's My Jet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's kind of that same quirky. It's absurdist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what I loved is Steve Glue. Um, they inter- obviously interviewed him throughout the whole film, but he played himself in the reenactments, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> which is great. I so love silly. that. I absolutely love that. So it's they dyed his back beard. It's the original and like, Unsolved Mysteries, which if you think about it, right. yeah. is so fucking traumatizing for the stories being told in Unsolved Mysteries. I know. But in this, it's fun. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. If you want something a little lighter, that's like a little more fun, um, really interesting story. It's an actual documentary. So it's like an hour and a half, I think. Yeah. It's not like a 50 part no 100 hour series no, just a short story to tell i short, do love sweet. that it just was like pez like the german guy who was like i think you're you're telling the story of the wrong guy like you're talking yeah. about the wrong person he definitely is he's a weirdo they're all weird he's a creep a weirdo and also definitely does everything illegally oh, he's yeah. the one that had like a secret the, stash yeah and he was, can we come up there and look no yeah, no. he was like, Mm-mm. you can't look at anything. I can't tell you anything except for whatever directly relates to this tiny story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's The Pez Outlaw on Netflix. Uh, check it out. This is that part of the show where you say content may not be appropriate for our listeners. Uh, we will be discussing um, Got a lot of sex stuff in mind. <sighs> so sorry if you're having puritanical feelings or... <laughs> Or whatever. Yeah. Um, but what are we talking about today, Jill? Yeah. So we're going to be talking about... Originally, I was like, oh, I want to talk about like powerful ladies. But then we both yeah. were like, it's a sex cult. And then I'm like, yeah. I guess it's, we're talking about sex cults, really. Yeah. Flashback <laughs> to uh, Dark Matters mm-hmm. when we were standing outside and I got a text message from Tiff that changed everything. <laughs> and now enter the reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> we play ourselves. <laughs> I will be playing Vicky as Vicky in this reenactment. Uh, yeah, so I was like, well, I guess we can make it about sex cults since we're both doing sex cults, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, but we'll be talking about really powerful lady-led sex cults. Um, so content warning if you don't want to hear about tantric sex and moaning and clitorises. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of sex talk today. So much. All the sex. Um, so mine will be taking place in an area of the United States where I think sex cults are mostly known, California. Mm. <laughs> mm. And we're going to be talking about the sex cult called One Taste, a.k.a. Ohm or Orgasmic Meditation. Now... Okay. You may have heard this and you may have seen no. the Netflix documentary that was out about it. No. Not um, until not until I saw I happened to glance at it in your notes mm-hmm. and I was like, 
I kind of remember this, but I don't remember it like giving me that sort of like sex cult vibe when I looked at the little yes. description. So now I feel like I have to go back and watch it. <laughs> yeah. So Netflix got in trouble for their documentary. Oops. Yeah. Well, um, we'll talk all about it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I watched the documentary and then I started reading more about it uh, a while ago. Um, so after the hype had calmed down, I thought we could take a peek at it in, okay. a, in a different kind of capacity, I think, a little bit. Now, this one starts off as most cults do with, you know, quote unquote, good intentions. Um, I actually went on their website because, believe it or not, it's still an organization, okay. even after the Netflix documentary <laughs> okay. and all of the lawsuits. The description that I'm going to read you is from the still active One Taste website. All right. Ready? Quote. One Taste was founded in 2005 with a mission to provide people with teaching and trainings into living a desire-based life rooted in a felt sense of connection. Okay. In its early days, it started out as a caravan retreat and operated as One Taste, an urban retreat center, until 2010. The company was run by a small, passionate group of practitioners living under one roof in San Francisco. From 2014 to 2017, the company expanded to become one of INC's 5,000 fastest growing companies with five licensed centers across the U.S. and London and smaller outposts worldwide. Okay. By 2018, over 35,000 people have participated in our in-person events. Over 16,000 had taken classes and workshops. Over 1,300 completed our coaching program and tens of thousands of people worldwide had learned to ohm. <laughs> what? I know it's gross. There's oh so my much more. <laughs> Have learned to oh. Now remember, this is on their website. In 2018, at the height of our success, we were canceled by salacious media mischaracterizations propagated by Bloomberg Businessweek, Playboy, Vice, BBC. It appears that these will be repeated on a forthcoming production on Netflix. Oh, so they God. haven't changed their website. The Website kind of concludes with that information. It says, if you want to know more, here's more. Now, the organization is ran by a woman named Nicole Daydon. Daydon? I always forget how to say her fucking last name. We're going to call her Nicole. Okay. <laughs> she still has a semi-active LinkedIn page. Oh. Okay. And I wanted to pull from her her own words on her LinkedIn page. Part of about, me was like, did you message her? <laughs> no. I mean, she probably would respond. <laughs> because she, she would or wouldn't? She would. Oh. She is like crazy about getting back the reputation of this company. Um, I went to her LinkedIn page because I just looked her up to try to find information about her and like her background and what's her deal. And so it, the first thing that popped up was her LinkedIn page. And I was like, this can't be for real. But it's for real. This is the description that's listed on the LinkedIn page where it like asks you to talk about yourself, your career path, your goals, blah, blah, blah. So this is written by her. The founder and chief executive officer of One Taste Incorporated graduated from San Francisco State University with a bachelor's degree in gender communications. In 1995, I founded 111 Mina Gallery, an avant-garde event space and gallery still thriving in San Francisco's Soma community, which is south of Market. I served there as an owner for a year. In 2004, I launched One Taste, a San Francisco-based company that has pioneered what I have deemed the slow sex movement. What as, I have deemed? Okay. <laughs> it says she. she it's, yeah. it's in the third person, gotcha. but um, 
she wrote this. Yeah. <laughs> As CEO, I oversee the entire corporate culture, which involves setting company policies, overseeing a team of seven executive officers, and leading One Taste's public classes out of the Hilton Hotel. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the core of my unique practice is called Orgasmic Meditation, or OM for short, a practice involving two partners and taking 15 minutes. In this practice, a woman lies naked from the waist down and is stroked in a deliberate manner by her partner, usually male, in quotation marks. Unlike the typical sexual experience, the end result of OM practice is not necessarily climax, but a shared experience. In May of 2011, oh my God. <laughs> I released my first book titled Slow Sex, The Art and Craft of the Female Orgasm. The book, which takes the female perspective as its focus, expounds and lengthens on the technique and philosophy of OM. Containing a 10-day OM starter program, my book also features exercises to improve other aspects of couples' sexual lives, including slow oral for him and her and slow intercourse. For my work on this book and as CEO of One Taste, I have been featured in such media outlets as the New York Times, Time.com, and NPR, among others. There's a lot to unpack there. Yep. That's a, there's, okay. (laughs) Can we go back to the Hilton Hotel thing? Yeah, sure. What is that? What is that? So when you have conferences and workshops. What was, what did she write? (sighs) <sighs> leading one taste public classes out of the Hilton hotel. Okay. I think, so when I heard it the first time, my brain was like leading people out of the hotel. And I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? But that makes, hearing it a second time, I'm like, okay, the words make sense. In so order now. yeah. So she's leading, leading a workshop like, seminar giving ca- at classes the at the hotel to the public. Yes. <laughs> Which you still like, have to pay for. Mean? Yeah. So these I are the words directly from Ohm, directly from her. And how they perceive themselves and how they say what they do is what they do. She really put it out there like, this is for straight couples. Oh, a thousand percent. Very heteronormative. Like one million percent. There is, this is, is to me, I'm like, she talks about male empowerment. This is a misogynistic practice. Gross. It's one thousand percent for the man. Yeah. And she keeps saying it's for the one. It's not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Um, especially when we hear about what happens later. Oh, God. Okay. So um, there's a lot of people who state that One Taste is like a pyramid scheme type kind of program and that participants are involved in sex trafficking, prostitution, and they violate labor laws. So those are the big issues that have come up and have been mentioned in the Netflix documentary and in a lot of the um, articles that I took from. Now, they mentioned the salacious things from Bloomberg <laughs> – And I have put a lot of information from the original Bloomberg article that came out in 2018 that was the impetus of what Netflix did. Okay. They're the ones who came out and talked to people from One Taste originally and discussed all of the issues. So a lot of this information is from that particular article. Now, One One Taste was created to bring kind of like mindfulness to partner relationships through sexual touch. And the goal was to create a oneness. So that's why it's called One Taste, which, honest God, every time I hear it, I think it's like a pampered chef company. I know. I hate that I name. I feel like, for, like we're going to be making dips. Yeah. Well, because it, it, it what is it? Tastefully Simple, I think, yeah. is uh-huh. the one that another one. calls to mind is like yeah. One Taste. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, ah, this is about seasoning. It's about seasoning. (laughs) It's not. It's never about seasoning. (laughs) So 
back to their website, they say that this is steeped in a scientific practice. So I'm going to read the quote unquote scientific basis for which they are trying to get people to do this. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) this is from their website. Science is confirming that practitioners of OM have known for years. OM has enormous benefits to physical, mental, and emotional health. Six peer-reviewed IRB-approved studies have been performed to date, with results still emerging. Some of the top findings include... Here's where it gets wackadoo. Mystical experiences on par with moderate psilocybin dosage. Researchers administered the mystical experience questionnaire to 780 respondents about OM and found that it equates to the second highest dose of psilocybin. Remarkably in OM, you are only tapping into your neurobiology without the use of any substance. Okay, so they're equating this practice to taking a mushroom trip, I'm going to guess that this research is heavily flawed. Oh, one <laughs> no, million no percent. Double, I can't, I'm, I'm going to assume it's not like a double blind or like no. unbiased. This is nonsense. They're talking nonsense. And they're like, there's like these, these peer reviewed. Okay. First of all, the participants in the studies are, it's being conducted by the Institute and not by a third party. And then it's being reviewed by a third party. Okay, so that is not how you do that. <laughs> but also, how do you measure mystical effects? With a, with a questionnaire, obviously. 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 You're not yeah. taking heart rates or reactions mm-hmm. as it's happening. No, it's a survey after Good you've Lord. finished. <laughs> Based on a study of over 125 pairs, OM has been observed to... Um, in psychedelics research are dis- this is this is on their website it makes no sense okay in psychedelics researchers are discussing tapping into post traumatic growth where trauma is transformed into positive growth research on om suggests sim- something similar that's that sentence doesn't make sense and this is on their website so <laughs> i wanted to pull it's that because like i'm like huh? yeah <laughs> um om evokes strong changes in the emotional regulation centers in the brain there are a number of brain changes that occur in OM, and these are likely associated with the spiritual elements of the practice. Based on a study of over 125 pairs of OM, has observed increased closeness in both romantic and non-romantic partners. Also, 125 naked. pairs? That's only yeah. 250. That's not very many. No. Um, a higher level of post-OM closeness was seen in non-romantic partners. Closeness may be a result of sharing in a positive experience. Benefits such as closeness may be more sustainable in your practice of OM more frequently, and closeness can be improved after just one OM. So that's just a couple of little snippets about this quote-unquote scientific... It's very arbitrary terms. Oh, it's like closeness. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're physically close. Yeah. Again, I'm again. I'm assuming like it's a questionnaire. Like, do you feel closer to your partner? Yeah. Also, That's... you're experiencing something sexual together. Yeah. So you literally have to be close. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Anyway, so Om and One Taste really focus on a mindful practice in which um, the meditation is finger to genital touching, specifically stimulation of a female. Om is practiced in Paris with one practitioner stroking the female while both focus their attention on the sensation when the stated goal of developing a connective resonance between the pairs occurs. Okay. So. (laughs) I'm just going to accept that this is all nonsense and not question because otherwise (laughs) we will never get through this. Yeah. It's. You know, if you want to do the tantric sex thing, if you want to do slow... Okay, great. Fine. Perfect. Whatever. I find that to be incredibly boring. But... (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't think you need someone to tell you how to do it. I think we pretty much understand how our bodies work, and you could do that on your own. Yeah. You don't need a, an entire room of people watching someone do that on stage. That's weird. Because that's what happens. That's weird. Um, so Nicole has described her work as, quote, one that places a near exclusive emphasis on women's pleasure in which love, romance, and even flirtation are not required. After both partners discuss their experiences verbally. Now, women's pleasure, which love, romance, and even flirtation are not required. Okay. When you are learning this in their scenarios, you are forcibly put with somebody. This is what I was imagining. Just like pairing you off with. You don't get to pick who is touching you. Oof. And this is where the problem starts. Right. This is why I don't believe this is a feminist practice at all, as she claims, because you're forcing a woman to be physical with someone she doesn't know. And it really is against her will. Yeah. You signed up for this workshop. Yes. Yeah. But you should have choice. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So they kind of state that the practice is steeped in yoga, meditation, and tantric sex practices. Um, And like, sure, physical touch does have like positive effects on people. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, how slow the sex we got to have to, like, achieve a closeness, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, like, at the top, they, like, talk about trauma a lot, which is the biggest trigger points for a lot of people. Yeah. Like, sexual trauma is a huge issue. Right. And this could be traumatizing and re-traumatizing for a lot of people, especially if you don't get to select right. who you are being touched by. This That's so fucked up. bizarre. So this is an excerpt from the Bloomberg Exposé article where this cult was shoved into the spotlight. Again, this is from 2018, so you can look up the entire thing. I took a decent amount out of it, but it is like 12 pages. Okay. (laughs) So um, they do an amazing job, and they really pull up a lot of info. So Bloomberg Business Week interviewed um, 16 former One Taste staffers and community members. So staffers are the ones who are in charge of kind of doing a lot of the workshops. Nicole doesn't actually do that many workshops. Of course not. Some were involved like right when the article was coming out. So they were anonymous. They signed non-disclosure agreements and there was a little bit of fear that there would be some retribution. So some asked the article to withhold their name. So you can actually see people who have called out their names um, and some who have not. So you can actually, there's one person in particular that they discuss in this article and they've been interviewed and have written other articles. So you can look at their stuff a little bit more. Okay. So Ohm has strict rules and it is supposed to be separate from sex, meaning it is not foreplay. The pitch to women is 15 minutes of meditative focus only on their pleasure and sensation with no obligations to reciprocate. Men are told it will help them to it will help them learn to be more sensitive to women's needs through, although former members say it's often strongly implied that fellow one taste students will be open to sexual experimentation beyond OM. So basically saying that the reciprocation is actually expected. Okay. Many students' first encounters are casual. They spot a free or almost free event with a title such as Tired of Swiping Left? Let's Talk Real Intimacy or You Do Yoga, You Meditate, Now Try Orgasmic Meditation. <laughs> 
at the event, one taste staffers tell them about the one $199 introduction to Ohm class. So $200. Oh, this is $200. <laughs> $200. You can oh have an Ohm. Um, while attendees <laughs> are no longer invited to try Ohm during the intro class, because they used to. Just, like, get whoever off the street and be like, let's do Ohm. Take your pants down. <laughs> like, that. they used to do that. And this they stop. It feels so gross. It's, doesn't it? Like, yeah. it is disgusting. It It is so not female-centered. No. And I don't know how they're like, oh, it is. It still features, although they don't do, that you don't ohm, it still features an ohm demonstration between staffers right before lunch. Yeah, that's So you're I here for a whole day. You're talking right ohm. before lunch. You're going to watch two people on stage in front of you perform this and then go to lunch and then talk about how you could do it yourself this is not for are me. the demonstrations in person really necessary i don't know visual i learners? see lots of pelvic floor therapists with their fake vaginas yeah right you don't need a real person no no anyway <laughs> so the only way to learn more past the intro is to take additional classes Students pay $499 a weekend course, $4,000 for a treat, $12,000 for a coaching program, oh and $16,000 for an intensive. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> Gross. I know. Gross. <laughs> In 2014, One Taste started selling a year-long $60,000 membership program. 60000 a year? A year. Which lets buyers take all the courses they want and sit in the front row. Because again, they're doing live demonstrations. <laughs> Staff also encourages students to repeat courses, telling them the experience changes as they progress. This is the pyramid scheme. <laughs> Scientology. Mm -hmm. Take courses over and over again. Exactly. One taste says that about 1,400 people have taken the coaching program. 6,500 have come into just the intro class. And more than 14,000 have signed up for the online courses and their app. Okay. Damn, I, I hear <laughs> stuff like that and I'm like... I wish I had $60,000 to just throw away. Like, it's California. Honestly, <laughs> like, if you have that much disposable in income, like, go fuck yourself, first I'm, of all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got bigger problems to worry about than yeah. your own. I mean, they probably don't own. They probably have a very boring life. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, some students do take a course or two and then, like, never come back. But often those who are, like, really into it are – they're drawing from people who have anxiety or are trying to resolve sexual trauma. Of course. That's their target, which is so fucking disgusting. Um, if you volunteer at events, a lot of times it will – they will, like, bring you into the fold and ask you to work for the company full-time, usually in sales – um, former staff members have said that they were trained to target young, beautiful women and awkward, wealthy tech guys. Of course. Of course. That's not, I mean, this all tracks. <laughs> mm -hmm. They set up booths at life hacking conferences and early morning dance parties, serving coffee and shirts with slogans like the pussy nose and asking passerbys, how's your orgasm? I really don't want to. I, I just want to be going about my day. Me down the street. I'd be like, damn, girl. It's off the hook. And they'd be like, well, fuck. How's, how's yours? How's yours? It sounds like you don't actually climax. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh. 
yeah it's all all gross this entire thing is cringe and i'm so sorry i'm in full cringe like this whole episode Mm -hmm. every time you say ohm i'm like yeah i know it also just bastardizes you know like actual real meditative ohm yeah it's so yeah at one day's events attendees often play communication games prompting them to share vulnerable stories Former staff members say that they took notes that might help them sell this to people later while they're listening to these vulnerable stories. And they're really focusing on things like divorce, people saying that they have loneliness, that sort of thing. And they really listen if somebody says something about their wealth. Of course. Of course. They also say female employees were told to wear lipstick heels and short black skirts to be more tempting to passerbys to come into the classes. Uh. One taste teachings were often used to justify sexual manipulation and abuse. Several former members say aversion practices is the company's teaching that you gain power and expand your orgasm within the group, a broad term for sexual energy um, by performing sexual acts. You don't want to do or doing them with people you find disgusting. Oh God. So yup. You, like I said, are not selecting the people. And even if you say, that person's giving me the creeps. They're like, ooh, so sorry. You're going to have to own with them. Even more reason for you to own with that person. Right? You need to get past that. A real girl boss lets anyone touch them. (laughs) That's what they would say. This is, I mean, we have seen, by this, obviously, the year 2023, like, Mm -hmm. we've seen so many regular cults, sex cults, all this kind of manipulation. Yep. You know, there's things like that are giving me very Scientology vibes, a lot uh-huh. of Nexium vibes oh, where yes. it's like, oh, and even like Teal Swan where it's like, well, mm-hmm. this sounds like a you problem and this is something yep. that you need to overcome. So by overcoming that, you're going to do exactly what you are saying you don't want to do. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> can we chill on that and just let people like... Not, not just go to regular therapy people please yes For yes the love of god yes yes go to regular go. therapy. just get therapy <laughs> if you want to like regular meditate go off right if you want to talk to somebody about sexual like trauma and stuff go to a regular therapist for the yes. love of fucking god yes <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend therapy <laughs> In 2015, the company paid $325,000 to settle a labor dispute with a former sales rep, according to um, some people whose names are complicated to uh, say. Um, (laughs) They stated that others ordered her to sleep with customers and managers, and two people familiar with the matter say she considered the experience sexual assault. So it came up as a labor dispute, but the reality is they were telling this person to fuck customers to keep them in the program. That's a hard pass for me. Yes. Former staffers say that there were multiple cases of domestic violence between employees in relationships, which were sometimes characterized as one partner letting out his or her aggressive desire, a.k.a. known as the beast. Now, this comes up in the documentary. She talks about men's male aggression as their inner beast, okay? In one case, an executive repeatedly slapped his girlfriend during a 2014 fight in the company's Market Street headquarters in front of employees. The executive was fired, but since has been rehired. What? Yep, we'll come back to the beast part, trust me. Live at the Ohm House was re- was relent- relentlessly scheduled, so like 
they were constantly being told where to like where to go, what to do constantly. So when you were at the headquarters, they called the Ohm House, you could also live in their like company apartments which were attached to it. Okay. So this is kind of a breakdown of the, the day in the life of somebody who worked for this company. Every morning at 7 a.m., staff convened for two rounds of Ohm, switching partners midway through. Then came an AA-inspired fear inventory where you were writing out and sharing your worries with your partner. (laughs) Former staffers say that they were encouraged to report to management if they heard others express doubts about one taste. They all then went to Vikram Yoga, cooked, cleaned, then spent several hours making sales calls around a table, tracking their progress with Salesforce, which is like a really popular use like CRM program. Oh, yeah. After an afternoon round of ohm, they left to run evening public sessions. So they were oming three times in a day. <laughs> wow. And like working, doing yoga, cooking, cleaning the entire facility, like all this in one day. So obviously more than an eight hour work day. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I mean, this goes to not only just like controlling the time, but controlling how much sleep people have, yeah. the times that they're able to eat. Mm-hmm. Like this is all control. Yep. All classical. Mm-hmm. Classical. Mm-hmm. So after this 2018 Bloomberg expose, the FBI announced that it was going to be probing one taste, which is a poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Uh, Later that year, a former member filed a lawsuit claiming sexual abuse and fraud. Um, It was dismissed by a judge. Really? This is really, really common because they, like, don't allow you to record. They don't allow you to, like, have a lot of personal effects or anything like that. So it's very hard to get, like, real hard information about what's happening and, like, the abuse and everything. Yeah. There have been very few lawsuits that have actually gone through. Damn. The case against One Taste began to ramp up after the Netflix documentary was released in November of 2022. The doc went into a great deal about the organization and the allegations against them, and they interviewed several former members and some who were still currently in it. Now, in the documentary, they went on to describe the borderline predatory practices during the workshops. The man-to-woman ratio is where the issue was also so it skewed heavily towards male attendance in the workshops for obvious fucking reasons right. oh i'm not surprised i only have to pay four hundred dollars to touch a woman right hell yeah right <laughs> so many men in fact that if there wasn't enough women in the workshop one taste salespeople would have to volunteer themselves to own with somebody else because there weren't enough female participants. Okay. So you're forcing your staff to yeah. participate in sex acts because you don't have enough participants in your workshop. Ugh. Gross. It is a known and proven fact and also brought up in the documentary that many men were attending expecting just to have sex. Well, especially when you're doing it in those intro classes, like before they changed, right? Yep. Like It was gross and negligent the amount of men they allowed into the workshops without interviewing or background checks or just because the sheer number of men be like oh you know what we don't have enough what you what they should have done is we don't have enough participants we'll schedule you for a different workshop instead of forcing your staff right to do this every single time right the leader nicole even described her feelings towards sexual trauma molestation and rape in the documentary um, this is where the beast comes back into play. 
Now she shared with classes that she didn't. So her mother or her mother was like not really there. And her father was a convict, convicted child molester. And she was raped and sexually assaulted throughout her entire youth. Okay. Okay. According to her. Okay. Now there are some allegations that she was never actually touched. Mm-hmm. There are also some conflicting stories. And then there are some stories where she kind of says things like she was abducted and like all of these other extra things do you feel like it might it might be like um because i could totally see this being like a recovered memory yes deal one thousand percent i think it's more on the borderline of that okay i'm not saying that maybe maybe she was molested but her stories got progressively more sensational Mm. as the company got bigger and i think she was in if she was assaulted she's embellishing a lot to Mm -hmm. make it seem like more things happened to her and this is how she recovered herself basically Mm -hmm. now she shared with her classes that she didn't think that her father who was charged with 52 counts of child molestation 52 (laughs) holy shit um she said that she didn't think he was a bad person he's not a bad person she described predatory men as having inner beasts now when that former member was sexually assaulted um by multiple men we brought up earlier she was told by Nicole to ignore her body's response to the assault. And quote, this is what she was told. I was reprimanded afterwards for showing fear in the face of his beast. Okay. A true turned on woman would have taken his beast's cry for help with grace and love. Okay. So you're just making excuses for men to assault women. Yes. So what she's saying, and this is how she thinks that her father's not a bad man, is that when a man wants to rape a woman or beat her, it's because his inner beast is not being cared for and taken care of. And that it is a man's desire to always have sex and to always be in charge. And when he's not, that's when he lashes out. So it's the woman's fault. Yep. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean... Makes How feminist sense to me. How feminist. Oh God. Oh, this is so bad. It's so bad. Yep. <sighs> now, in November of 2020, BBC Radio released a four a BBC Radio Four released a ten part documentary uh, podcast entitled "The Orgasm Cult." I have not listened to it as of yet. Ooh, BBC does um, some good podcasts, but I really too. want to. Yeah. I didn't want to have too much podcast documentary in my brain that that's why i waited <laughs> a significant yeah. time yeah. um because i want the words to be for me so definitely check that out but from their description they spoke with former workers of the company um to look at allegations of emotional financial and sexual abuse um they also really go into a part of the conversation that i feel is not discussed in the documentary or the Bloomberg article, and they are talking about the PTSD and the trauma that was caused to these people. So if you want to really, really dive deep dive into the whole thing and really hear about individualized stories and experiences, I would definitely check this out. It also added it to my list. Yeah, it talks about the PTSD, which I think is the major part that people are fucking missing. Yeah. They're trying to get at this company because of like more of the money, right? When it should be, like, a federal case or, like, a state case against them. Right. All of these little, you know, cases that they're trying to build are really about individuals when they should all come together and as an entity and talk about it's 
sexual assault, it's sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. The labor laws a little bit too, but that's really how they should approach this to take down the company. Now, since the documentary and the podcast, One Taste has changed its name to the Institute of Ohm. (laughs) Okay. And the company assets were then bought by someone else, but Nicole is still in charge. So they're trying to hide the money. Yes. (laughs) Um, The organization is still active and running. And this is from a December 2022 article right after the Netflix documentary came out. The quotes are taken from her giving a workshop to an audience of about 50 or 60 people. And the workshop was called Women Over Dinner, and it took place in Los Angeles. And it included loyal participants, friends, and journalists who were invited to the relaunch of the Ohm Institute. Um, Quote, I'm the captain of a ship, so if anybody's hurt, I want to know. I want to know everything. That that would happen on my watch. It's anathema to everything I believe. I think she did not say the right word. Um, She goes on. I was hit by a bomb, and that bomb was called canceled, and I was thrown under my desk. I was vomiting and shaking and crying and self-pitying and scared. I'm a brave woman, and I did not know that that kind of terror existed. My phone overnight went from 2,400 people to 40. First of all, why the fuck do you have 2,400 people on your phone? Yeah, that's Psycho. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> she said, my agent at the time, I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> I did not know what it meant to be an untouchable human being, and then I did. And then there were some people, some teachers, some guides, some really rare and fearless friends that said, get up and come on. We're going to do the science. We're going to write this book. <laughs> I didn't know if I ever wanted to come out again. It's a lot to face after you read things. Someone inadvertently sent me an article once which said, Mess- messianic cult leader about me. Huh. She said, that. <laughs> she said, quote, it turned into a California wildfire, which resulted in what we loosely call a documentary. <laughs> I'll start talking about Netflix. Oh, my God. So as of now, the FBI probe has not moved forward. They're still in the investigation phases. I think that they, like, are being cautious because the Netflix documentary came out. And mm-hmm. so now they're like, Oh, you know, like that's the company of, or the FBI. The FBI. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they, that, that is still somewhat active, but there's not any more information about yeah. it. Um, and so a lot of those things go on in the background too, where it's like, yeah. seems like nothing is happening. And then one day they'll be like, well, we have an announcement in this case. And it's, and there's a know. lot of people who haven't come forward and there's a lot of people who remain anonymous. Um, so sure. there's a lot of people who also have had non-disclosure agreements that they've had to sign. So there's a lot of hurdles and red tape. Yeah. The organization is still active, albeit far from the numbers they once saw. And currently there are no other lawsuits against the organization, although this may change by the time this podcast comes out. There are some rumblings about a uh, lawsuit, a class action labor lawsuit. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I'm excited for that. That'll be and interesting. And hopefully that that happens um, because... This is a predatory organization. Yeah. I don't know necessarily so much a cult as it is sex trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. When you are forcing people to participate in sex acts against their will mm-hmm. because it's quote unquote their job, you're no different than a pimp. I'm right. so sorry. <laughs> right. right. Um, but that is One Taste. I had no idea. The Institute of Ohm. That's wild. <laughs> Whatever they're called now. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> again, once again, we are so sorry, but this episode yeah. is sex heavy yeah. and not sex positive. It is sex no. negative. Yes. <laughs> it is <Yeah>. anti-sex. <laughs> 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So as we said earlier, I got a tip. Mm-hmm. A tip tip. <laughs> a tip tip. Um, for what I wanted to, call, I didn't even know I, at the time, but I was like, this sounds really good. We changed what our episode was about. So we, well, I'm going to talk about um, the Oneida community. Okay. And John Humphrey Noyes. Ooh. This is a very strange. Have you heard of that guy? I have. Have you? I have. Very weird, dude. Yeah. There's a lot of predatory things coming to light the past year or so about a lot of people and a lot of organizations. So. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So we're going to go way, way back mm-hmm. to the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so John Humphrey Noyes was born September 3rd, 1811. Um, He grew up in a pretty well-to-do family. His father, whose name was also John, uh, (laughs) went to college at Dartmouth before becoming a congressman. Um, And his mother, Polly, was described as a, quote, strong-willed and deeply religious woman. They, a lot of places talked about how, like, she very much wanted to put the fear of God in her kids. And... Hoped that one of them would become like a preacher or something along those lines. But honestly, at the time when he was growing up, Noise was not really interested in anything religious or like theology related. Mm-hmm. In 1826, Noise opted to attend Dartmouth University like his father. And during this time, the so there's a lot of things going on at this time. There's this revivalist movement movement that had taken off mm-hmm. um and we're, we're talking like the old like tent style yes revivals um this was just i think it was just before or just at the beginning of the second great awakening so like there's this huge religious movement happening in the united states uh charles grandison finney was one of these guys that was kind of like leading the charge he was mm-hmm. a big well-known preacher um but it would be another five years before noise at the behest of his mother attended a four-day revival meeting in putney mm-hmm. four days which i'm like this is wild. too much it's too much <laughs> uh 
So this was in Putney, Vermont, and it was led by Charles Grandison Finney. Now, according to the Oneida community by Randall Hillebrand, quote, at first he was not moved by what he heard, but after the meeting, he suffered a feverish cold, which led him to think of death and to humble himself before God. Mm-hmm. There was a, a movie that we watched recently that took a lot of its characters from a bunch of these tent revivals. And that's why I knew this guy's name, because one of the characters was loosely based on him and mm. like one other person. Yeah. Um, but it was just funny because like, in the article that I read about the docu, it was like they called it a, a surreal documentary style movie, and I was like, "What the fuck does that mean?" Um, <laughs> but they were like, "This is starting to come back again," and then it started naming a bunch of other like recent mm-hmm. tent revival style, yeah, culty things, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Well, there was but- <laughs> the one that just made the news recently for like a week long prayer session mm-hmm. in like. I want to say it was like Virginia and bringing snakes back into it are coming back again. Like there is like, it's so that never went away. That just like, but like in, in popularity, now it's like becoming more like open. Like even though it's illegal in a lot of the States that they're Mm -hmm. doing it in, they're like, Nope, we have snakes. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of crazy. Like the cyclical nature of how everything is coming. And during this time too, especially it was very like fire brimstone, like, you know, crazy type revivals so he he got swept up in in that and Mm -hmm. converted essentially to christianity um christianity kind of quote unquote we're gonna say kind of yeah christianity question mark (laughs) (laughs) so noise actually decided to go on to attend yale theological seminary well okay so he was like he did the dartmouth thing he's like all right i'm gonna go become a preacher and while he was studying at Yale, made the biggest discovery of Christianity ever. <laughs> okay. okay. Since the Bible. Yes, yeah, since the Bible. <laughs> um, so he had actually been doing this research on the date of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, um, Jesus. <laughs> and he found what he claimed to be evidence uh, that it had already happened. So they were oh, actually... It. <laughs> Um, so they were at there. They were saying, or I should say, he was saying, according to his research, that the second coming of Jesus actually happened in 70 AD. And that's real quick. So the time that they were living in, like the time that we're living in is like this post second coming new wave coming. Yeah. Fourth wave. coming. Yeah. So it was at this point that noise completely changed his understanding of salvation, which he called perfectionism okay (laughs) okay (laughs) um and so the main thrust of this doctrine was that you are free from sin at the moment of conversion um something that was kind of like really frowned upon in traditional circles Mm -hmm. so obviously you know they had these baptism things but there was also like confessional and this idea that you had to continuously be forgiven for your sins because you're Mm -hmm. sinning all the time and we'll talk about this a little bit more later but but noise was essentially saying the minute you convert because you're choosing to humble yourself before God, you are free from sin from that moment on. And everything else that you do is not sinful because it's made with a clean heart. Like those decisions are made mm-hmm. with a clean heart and a clean mind under God. So like. Okay. I can see that. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is kind of 
problematic when you're talking about like taking responsibility for your actions but yes but also i think what he was like getting at is like well if you really did accept jesus you wouldn't be doing any of those acts anyway but we all know that's yeah not that's not how it works true that's not how it works <laughs> um so again this is from the oneida community article quote it is said that one of the reasons that noise adopted this doctrine was the fact that he could not believe that he was a sinner since he could not summon up from within any feeling of deep guilt and despair that sounds like a personality problem mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, in 1983, Noyes married Harriet Holton, although they started living, so they didn't break up, but they started living separately in 1844. Okay. Okay. So just, I just want to, I'm going to remind you occasionally and our listeners that this is like Victorian times. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, a lot of this shit is like very frowned upon. I mean, so like if you were rich, that was yeah. like, that's copacetic because you yeah. have multiple houses and you're a businessman. Mm-hmm. But if you're not rich, <laughs> true, true, that is not a thing. <laughs> so in the lead up to the creation of Oneida, Noyes became ostracized from his friends um, who began to think that he was like kind of unhinged. Members, <laughs> <You don't say. laughs> members of the Yale Theological Seminary began to call him a heretic for his beliefs and but again, like none of this mattered to to Noyes because he claimed that since he had completely surrendered to God's will, that all of his choices were made uh, that he made were perfect because they came from a perfect heart. Okay, this is what I'm talking sure. about. Like all my choices are are totally cool with God because like my heart is perfect and clean, right? So pure, <laughs> so fresh and so clean, so fresh and so clean. He also thought that his new devotion to God canceled out any prior obligations to traditional religion and just did whatever the fuck he wanted to without any regret or like or regard for his his consequences at mm-hmm. all. However, the consequences came swiftly. Um All right. <laughs> because Yale decided to revoke his license to preach and expelled him from the school. I didn't know that you had like a license, license yeah. to preach. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously, like being, it's depending on what religion you're in and all that yeah. sort of stuff, like being ordained or being certified or whatever. But like that can be revoked by the religious organization that you serve. Yeah. It's bananas. Not even by the school, by the like, religious organization, but just being like canceled. Now you can just go on the internet and get one from a random You could. And then nobody gives a fuck. Nobody can tell you how to preach. (laughs) So, Noyes decided to return to Putney, Vermont, um, where he began to cultivate this community. Cultivate? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, he said, fuck Yale. I'm going to continue to preach. (laughs) Kept on preaching. He started the Putney Bible School in 1836 and then turned it into a communal organization in 1844, sharing the idea, um, which basically shared the ideals of the later Oneida iteration of the community, mm-hmm. um, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So one of the main tenets was complex marriage or free love, as it's more widely known, okay. which is... Um, Essentially, like not having one dedicated partner, being able mm-hmm. to kind of Anarchy. have sex or have relations with <laughs> Anarchy. Um, but it was clear that Noise was an active participant because in 1847, he was aw- arrested for adultery. <laughs> um, they don't understand my religious beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> he was released pending trial, 
And then, like, in the meantime, discovered that the police were also looking for some of his followers. So they decided... Like, girlfriends. Looking for his girlfriends. So they decided to pick up and leave and head to Oneida, New York, where they had this connection to another perfectionist with this huge amount of land. So Noyes decided to settle there. um, And they built their first communal dwelling in 1848, officially becoming the Oneida community. Mm Mm-hmm. So when they had first uh, left Vermont, Noyes had 45 followers, although this would grow to 87 by the end of 1848. Um, so first, I want to talk about their belief system. Okay. Uh, there were 10 main doctrines that the community sort of abided by. So first was complex marriage, um, where every man and every woman is married to each other. They could engage in sexual intercourse, um, but they weren't like attached to anybody in -hmm. in particular uh male continence was another big one which essentially is or was at the time like a form of birth control where the man would not ejaculate during or after sexual intercourse so like they could have sex but like he wasn't able to ejaculate at all he just didn't how'd that work he just didn't just pinch it off. Don't let, don't let it happen. Not to, say, I mean, not to say there weren't accidents. Um, oh no! And which you know caused some like accidental births within the community. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this stemmed from like in the early years they didn't really have the financial side of things figured out, and so mm-hmm. they were really trying not to bring more children into the community that they okay. then had to support. So mm-hmm. they told the males to practice male continence, um, and just like you know. Just don't come inside. <laughs> it's basically what they were getting at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one is ascending fellowship, which is pretty problematic. <laughs> so this is where the young virgins in the community were oh, brought. This is where the problem starts. Okay. <laughs> were brought into the practice of complex marriage. Uh, generally speaking, it was the older, more godly members who were... Oh, um, I'm getting touches of Mormonism in yeah. here. <laughs> they would basically, like, pick a virgin that they were responsible for spiritually and then kind of bring them into the complex marriage. And it normally happened when they were around 14 years old. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth main one is mutual criticism. Uh, which that sounds vaguely lot. familiar. <laughs> yeah, which is essentially going before the community and being reprimanded in front of a bunch of people and then having everybody else like roast me. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, roast me in front of this congregation. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was confession, but they didn't, it was, it, it wasn't like giving confession. It was the idea that no confession was needed because once you joined the community, you were free from sin. Mm. Yes. Um, number six, regeneration. That Christ's death was not for the sins of man, but was the first blow to Satan. But that believing in the death of Christ, one was released from sin because Christ destroyed the central cause of sin. So, again, it's this idea of like so many gymnastics. He didn't. Said it yeah, my brain. He didn't. He <laughs> didn't. Christ did not die for your sins, but died as a way to defeat Satan. And so, because okay. of that. <laughs> He went down swinging on Satan. Got it. But because you believe that he died for sin, then it releases you from your sin. Again, mental gymnastics. Yeah, that hurt my brain. 
they had this idea of separation, not necessarily like in different parts of the community, but separation sexually. Mm. So not having sex, <laughs> not having sex. It's very this. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm so confused. Are yeah. we fucking or are we not fucking? What's yeah. happening? So it's, it's basically, and I think I touched on this a little bit later, but it's basically like having, you can you can have relations with whoever. It's this idea of free love, but like you're not just having sex to have sex also. Mm-hmm. Like you're having sex for a purpose. Mm-hmm. So not it's not children. just like free. Well, later it is children. <laughs> Later it is children. So but in the beginning it's it wasn't children because they were broke. It's for your godliness? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but also magnets. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. You're having sex for magnets yeah. or about magnets or around magnets. <laughs> yes. Okay, all of that. Okay. Um they also had this um sort of equality of men and women i say sort of because this is still like victorian times so equal as it could get yeah (laughs) generally speaking women were like staying at home taking care of the children burying the children they were not educated they were um i mean like you know this is pre-women's rights Mm -hmm. uh and in the oneida community Men and women, for the most part, worked side by side. So, like, men would be doing laundry right next to women. They'd be Mm -hmm. cooking right next to women. There were some of these, like, household things that did still kind of fall to women to do Mm -hmm. primarily. But they were also allowed to work outside of the home, um, which was huge in the 1800s. And then finally, the last one is the Millennial Kingdom. Um, Again, this is the idea that... Jesus had actually introduced the millennial kingdom in 70 AD when the second coming actually happened. Don't you know? Yes. (laughs) Um, So again, I I just really quickly want to touch on like the role of women in the community. They, like I said, they were kind of like viewed as these homemakers, child bearers. Um, So actually living in this communal situation was kind of beneficial in a way. I'm not praising it in any means, but like (laughs) it was kind of progressive in the community because women were allowed to cut their hair shorter because it made working easier they were allowed to wear bloomer style clothing so pants Mm -hmm. um and they were able to explore like careers and industries outside of the household but a lot of the household duties were still like falling to women Mm -hmm. to do because men yeah they don't know how to wash dishes i don't know how to do all of that (laughs) there's also another practice that we have to talk about (laughs) Uh, called the Oneida Stirpiculture Experiment. Say that word again? Stirpiculture. Stirpiculture. Yeah, S-T-I-R-P-I culture. Okay. (laughs) Stirpiculture. All right. (laughs) Um, So between 1869 and 1879, Oneida conducted the first positive eugenics experiment in American history. Didn't roll back that tape. Bet you didn't think eugenics was going to come up. Positive yeah. eugenics? Yeah. Those you, don't go together. You might be asking, what the heck the difference is? Yeah. Um, so all eugenics is bad, okay? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> eugenics is essentially like the control. Uh, I don't want to say controlling the population. It is producing population that is the most ideal. That's like the, UI, the idea mm-hmm. behind eugenics Designed. generally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
positive eugenics was basically encouraging people with desirable traits to breed Mm -hmm. in order to produce offspring that was more desirable. Mm -hmm. Quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of of times when you hear about eugenics, it's more eliminating population, Mm -hmm. like forced sterilization, um, forced euthanasia, like that kind of thing. Um, But this is kind of the other side where it's like we want these people to have sex and and have kids because spiritually they're on another level you know mentally intellectually they're like the perfect humans and if they breed then they're gonna breed a perfect human Mm -hmm. very not i mean (laughs) yeah hitler had that all figured out decades Mm -hmm. later Mm -hmm. his hitler youth program was to raise up the next generation and they were literally like Creating marriage contracts for children. (laughs) Not great. Not great at all. (laughs) So this is kind of like off of the back of the male continence uh, deal. Noyes actually advocated for intentional reproduction rather than just having sex for sex sake, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so (laughs) you did want, you wanted to have intentional sex where you were doing it to reproduce these offspring. Um, Mm -hmm. So basically, Noyes put together a committee of men and women who would put partners together that they viewed with like superior, superior spiritual and mental qualities. Okay. Some of the couples applied. So you were able to like apply with you and your partner to like get permission to breed, essentially. Ew. Okay. Um, and but there were a lot of couples that were put together by this committee. Many of them happen to be older men with younger women. Always. Mm. The experiment resulted in 58 children. Holy shit. 13 of which were accidental male continents. But but yeah. we wanted to have children. Yeah, but not those people. <laughs> Only oh. specific people. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay, were so like not granted matched. permission. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. matched people. They were like the lower children. quality child. <laughs> they were the B team. Yeah, the B team. <laughs> yes. Um, and all of these children were, were raised communally. Um, and it's so confusing. Yeah. I'd be like, who can I actually have a child with? <laughs> yeah. And when you're talking about raising children community, you're they they pretty much let the child stay with the mother until like 15 months, I think, mm-hmm. at which point they were kind of weaned off and separated from their parents where you had the children all living together in sort of their own separate housing um, and certain people that were considered like the mothers and fathers of the community taking care of these children and establishing what they considered an appropriate relationship okay. with their mother and or father. Again, this is going to come up later. So like a distant one. <laughs> some of these, because of this free love system, like some of these women had children with multiple fathers. Again, in the 1800s, like mm-hmm. this is all not, not good. Yeah. <laughs> Noyes also had some more scientific ideas that totally give me L. Ron Hubbard vibes. Quote, unquote, um, scientific ideas. <laughs> big, yeah. He actually didn't really, like, shy away from this idea that Christianity and science worked hand in hand. Like, they kind of went together. So he had a fascination with magnetism and electricity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is he wearing magnet bracelets? No. They didn't have yeah. them, I don't think. Not yet. Back then. Not yet. <laughs> the balance bracelets. Right, Yeah. yeah. So this is from Lisa Hux for Collectors Weekly, quote, 
he asserted that Christ's love was an electric fluid that could be passed through words, both written and spoken, as well as through touch. But the ultimate way to charge up the community's God battery was through sex. And if the members had enough electric sex in the name of Jesus, they could achieve immortality on earth. End quote. I'm so confused by the practices of this place. And also, like, electric fluid sounds like a... Uh, I a told 60s you, jam band or something. I don't know. Magnets, man. What did they do? How did they work? <laughs> sex. Sex is the answer. Just, <laughs> Your oh. electric sex for Jesus. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds like an amazing band. It's a name. great band name. Electric, electric sex, for, sex Jesus. for Jesus. <laughs> so the I, and there's. I'm gonna say there's a lot more wild shit. I'm skipping over because <laughs> good because I'm already confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, a I would definitely recommend that you look into this because it gets pretty crazy with mm-hmm. some of the beliefs that noise had. Um, but the community needed governance and a way to bring in money and bring in revenue. So the government was set up with 21 standing committees and 48 administrative departments. <laughs> okay. At its height, Oneida had around 300 members to work in the various industries that provided its revenue. So um, due to the substantial amount of land that the community had built on, and they built this huge, it's called the Oneida Mansion. Um, You can still go and visit it today. I actually kind Mm -hmm. of want to go see it. But they built this huge communal mansion on this property. Uh, They tried to focus on, in the beginning, mainly agricultural pursuits. Mm -hmm. But they and they and they ran an orchard, but this oh, okay. <laughs> kind of proved difficult in the winter because they didn't have any income coming in, in the winter. Yeah, because you can't do the farm on the winter. <laughs> right. Um, but they decided to capitalize on the talents of member Seymour Newhouse, who happened to be a master animal trap craftsman. Oh, wait. Animal trap craftsmen? Yeah. 1800s. Trapping animals? There's still lots of trappers. Okay. Uh, Newhouse worked with the other members, some other members who were expert machinists, and the group managed to open factories that produced traps. Okay. They then opened factories that made twisted silk thread for sewing machines. Okay. Um, Again, from the Collector's Weekly article, quote, while the women of Oneida eschewed vanity, the community benefited from Victorian women's obsession with the latest trends. The traps provided them with the most chic furs, while Oneida's threads were always offered in the season's hottest colors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. It was only a matter of time before... So, obviously, they're living in this uh, communal living situation. Some would call it communism crazy right um but they eventually had to make like a full transition into the capitalistic market in order to keep up with the rest Mm -hmm. of the world so while the members were really working like four to six hours at a time in their factories kind of had these really i mean it was like really nice working hours they eventually had to hire wage laborers and outside like outside wage laborers to keep up with demand um, at one point, they attempted to get into the chain link business, but the attempt failed. It's very hard to get into the chain link business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in 1877, they had an inspiration <laughs> to start making silverware. <gasps> Silverware. Mm-hmm. How do they do it? <laughs> <laughs> In 
Initially, they started with tin spoons before expanding to a uh, full set of flatware. Now, shortly after the silverware business began taking off, it became apparent to the rest of the community that noise was in decline. Like at this point, he was old. Um, He had become elderly. He was basically deaf. He didn't like speak at any Mm -hmm. events or any or any meetings anymore this was in like the 1870s so some of the young men in the community decided to start attending college out there in the real world Mm -hmm. and came back with some skepticism to like (laughs) what was happening yeah um so there was kind of this rift happening within the community itself there were some other things happening in the outside world at the same time that kind of put pressure on the group as well. In 1873, Congress passed the Comstock Law that dealt with obscenity. Um, in 1878, they saw the banning of polygamy in Utah, thanks to the Mormons. The Mormons be crazy. Mm-hmm. And by June of 1879, the Syracuse Standard announced that authorities were preparing to arrest Noise um, for his, like, polygamy, essentially. <laughs> when he, <laughs> He's too old to have polygamy, like, fuck sessions now, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things I mentioned in these articles, too. Like, obviously, like, his sexual prowess was in the decline, yeah. you know? Um, but he heard this, got wigged out, and under the cover of darkness, like, fled to Canada. It's like peace. Where polygamy is totally chill. (laughs) (laughs) So he flees to Canada and Oneida, the like the Oneida community was kind of on the outs. There was a lot of worry about what would happen to these women and children in the community, many of which who had multiple partners, multiple fathers, um, going into the outside community as like a woman with multiple children by most multiple fathers, you're talking about your kids being bastards and mm-hmm. you being a harlot. Like what happens to these women? Um, so noise decided that it was time to end the practice of complex marriage okay. and sent notice to the community in New York to have a vote on it. And the community overwhelmingly agreed with him. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to be done with, with the complex marriage thing. The free love too over. fucking complex. Yeah. <laughs> There was some more, like, internal disagreement about how Oneida should move forward. Um, Eventually, in 1880, they decided that the Oneida community should break up and restructure its businesses as a joint stock company, Oneida Community Limited. (laughs) Okay. The shares were divided up based on who initially invested the most money um, into the community as well as how much labor the individual put into it. So they kind of like a lot of it was the original members. They kind of decided to split it up with people in the community. But there were some who just not many, but like some women who were just kind of left out in the cold, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the women, Harriet Worden, had a child by noise or by noise named Pierpont. Like Pierre and Pont, Pierre Pont. Oh, not like, not like a Dupont. No, like a like, like Pierre, a Pierre Pont. Pont. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he ended up coming back to essentially revamp the Oneida company into a silver company. So noise <laughs> dies from what sounded like old age to me. I didn't see Just any like being an old yeah. fucker. He dies literally. in eighteen eighty six. 
and some of the original Oneida members continued to run like the various businesses that were kind of under this Oneida umbrella. There were still a few people who counted on noise for spiritual guidance and often participated in the seance scene that was like hell very, yeah very big I at the time. The so they would go to <laughs> seances and be like, "Noise, tell us what to do. Ooh, make the table jimmy." <laughs> uh so they did that. Um, the trapping, the trap making slowed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 1900, Pierpont decided to drop the thread making and the canning from the Oneida business, uh, like the Oneida catalog. The trap making slowed down. They eventually got discontinued in 1925. Yeah, people um, stopped wearing furs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and depression I'm sure and all that. Trapping methods had. Yeah improved i mean we're talking well, like they're the, doing farming right right so they're raising yeah animal, like mink farms and things yeah like that. and we're talking like the old style metal like you know pull them yeah. apart traps yeah. yeah so oneida decided that at that point it was going full-on in flatware um and they were going to dominate the silver flatware market so they essentially cornered the market on affordable flatware by offering triple plate silver in fresh modern designs that allowed middle class mm. families to have yes. <laughs> nice cutlery without um, having nice cutlery at affordable prices. Yeah, essentially. not full yeah. silver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was like they bas- they they talk about how there was like the cheap stuff. And then there was the super nice silver, but there was no in-between. Yeah, because the cheap stuff had, like, fucking lead in it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, like, not good tin. It was, like, shitty aluminum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they they were like, well, let's hit this middle, this middle area so that people didn't have to save and save and save to get, like, nice silverware. Mm-hmm. The brand itself was called Community Plate. Oh. <laughs> Sounds um, like a grocery store now. Yeah. <laughs> So the Oneida Community Limited, um, I think now it's just Oneida Limited, but still exists as a successful company. Check your drawers, people. Literally. (laughs) They are one of the world's largest designers and sellers of stainless steel and silver-plated cutlery and tableware, and the largest supplier of dinnerware to the food service industry in North America. Yeah, so you're you're eating communist sex cult silverware, okay? It's true. <laughs> as, as I was looking through, you know, a lot of um, these articles pop up on like collector websites for mm-hmm. silverware collectors and stuff. Um, and there was one that had a ton of images of what the silverware looked like, um, and they they showed one that was from um, King Edward. Was he the one who abdicated? Sure. I forget. I think it was. It might have been King a Phil Edward. Or an Ed, I don't know. Yeah. Um, who the one who abdicated the throne. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember. For but love, baby. They did a design for his coronation that was then like reproduced even after he abdicated. Um, and I was looking at it, I was like, I feel like we had very similar like silverware in at my parents' house when mm-hmm. I was younger that has like since been replaced. Mm-hmm. But it's very nice stuff. I'm pretty sure we had some. Yeah. Yeah, you could probably look and see if it says Oneida. You might have cult silverware. I love good sex cult cutler. (laughs) So after 124 years, Oneida Limited announced that it was ending all U.S. manufacturing operations in 2005. And it moved all of it overseas. Um, There was some like combining of their company and some other silverware companies. Now there's only one U.S. made flat maker in in flatware maker in the entire United States. Mm. 
Um, but Oneida is still like the largest distributor here. So that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the story. Um, I know Tiff sent it over because of the the silver connection, which is just like weird. Yeah. But also um, not the first time that a fucking cult produced something. No. no but it's still around today, too. There mm-hmm. was the one that had all the cafes in, like, California, too. Yeah. Like, all those cafes are, mm-hmm. are still Vegetarian open. Vegetarian food cafes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not uncommon for, like, these organizations to stick around as businesses in some mm-hmm. sort of way. Especially- Which is always the antithesis of what they start out as. They're like, no, we're just doing it for ourselves and our community. And then it's like, oh, capitalism. <laughs> Yeah. Surprise capitalism. <laughs> yeah. He, when Pierpont Noise like took over, he pretty much disconnected all of the spiritual stuff. He he came in and like thought like a businessman yeah. and was like, yeah, we're not dealing with any of the spiritual stuff at all. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying you can buy Oneida guilt-free now. I feel Jesus um, in these forks tonight. <laughs> yeah. The electric, the electric <laughs> Jesus in my forks. Yeah. Um, I think you can buy guilt-free now and, and like be fine. Um, there are no like remaining Oneida members still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting because when he came back and like made, there's Does it say it on their website, like from the ruins of a sex, a religious no. sex cult comes no. cutlery. <laughs> it definitely, no, it definitely does not. It, I meant to pull up. Oh let's my God, see. Cause like, yeah. How do, oh, wait. how do you navigate? Food utensils. Nope. Oneida.com. Find your flatware favorites um yeah so you can see they're a part of a bunch of cut their brands lennox kate spade new york reed and barton and cambridge (laughs) yeah dude do they have an about me their silver is really pretty though oh they have one of these pages that just keeps auto filling here we go about us oneida was established in upstate new york as a way to get to utopia to this is from their website to support the community, our members began to make silverware. Soon they became famous as Oneida's quality was utopian. That's not um, even how that word works. Yeah, they talk about what is silverware, what <laughs> what is silverware? Yeah, um, how it can fight bacteria, blah, 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 blah. Wait, what? Fight bacteria. <laughs> Comes with properties that can help fight bacteria. Before disinfectants, the various utensils like cups, candlesticks, spoons, plates, and table weights were coated in silver so as to keep them sanitary. Okay, okay. The advent of modern soaps and dishwashers, real silver was no longer necessary. Now we use stainless steel, but the name stuck. Any household utensil is iconic silverware. Blah, 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 blah. Um, Oneida revolutionized the entire industry when it first came up with stainless steel flatware back in the 1960s. The high-end products that anyone could afford, the whole world would have access to the finest flatware. Now, the whole world wanted Oneida. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mention the cult, but that's really interesting. They say utopia. As a way to get utopia and call their quality utopian. So, like... So, they give a little wink and a yeah, little nod. A little, little <laughs> tongue-in-cheek Because they there. know that that's people really are going to look it up and be like, the fuck my silverware is all about religion <laughs> yeah they do have 25 percent off site-wide bt dubs if you're looking for some if you're looking for notch you for flatware let's see i'm curious what the the price is oh no <laughs> they have a champagne satin 20 piece flatware sweat on sale for 60 dollars, but it looks about 120 bucks a set or so oh this one's 210 dollars. Mm. damn 
this one's $370. Oh, that's 40 pieces. Anyway, <laughs> so that was Oneida. We don't have to sit. This is not a silverware podcast. I mean, should it be? It might be. Before you an just, email. <laughs> before you decide what silverware you're going to buy from Oneida, <laughs> because it's utopian. Which one screams like shared partners? Actually, they <laughs> have like a black mat set that I really dig. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, check out this podcast. <laughs> and I'm scared we exist in the Matrix. I'm Jaslyn, and I'm bad at (laughs) ad-libbing. And you're listening to High Expectations, the promo. For our international listeners, you can appreciate our cute New Zealand accents. For our local listeners, you might bump into us in the street three times in the same hour. Our podcast is about pop culture, sexuality, relationships, interesting hobbies, banter, and ragging on each other. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, or anywhere you might like to find podcasts. Yay! Please subscribe. Goodbye! Well, that has been our show. Thanks for coming to our Silverware chat. <laughs> you know, for our anniversary, we had to really bring it back to the cults, the sex cults. It's true. It's Always. true. Uh, I don't think we have anything coming up, really. Yeah, do be we? wrong. Oh, I guess we do. Janelle, tell you'd me. You'd be wrong. Janelle, tell me about what's coming up, because I have no idea. We will have another in-person show in November with Haunted Rockford. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did I you forget about, about that? that. Yeah. Um, there will be more details to come, but it'll be sometime in the middle of Rockford, or middle of Rock. Yeah, in the middle but of Rockford. In, the middle of, in the middle of November, in the middle of Rockford. Um, so keep an eye out for that. We will have more information as it comes in. It's just being set up right now. <laughs> yes. Um, but I will remind you every month until November. <laughs> yeah, Come to do. our show. I'll, I'll need a reminder too. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, we don't have anything else. <laughs> Good. Um, on that note, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. (laughs) Six more years. Six more years. Oh, God. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a big You're asking a lot of me on a Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) I can barely make a six month commitment. Six months. Get out of here. Which one of these patterns says don't come?